0: Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the
1: podcast. I'm your host, Madeline. And I'm your co-host, Kenna. And today, Kenna, I wanted to ask you, have you ever taken a bus in LA? A bus in LA? Um, I have, but it was like many,
0: many years ago. I was like not even 21 years old. (laughs)
1: So it was a long time ago. (laughs) So I have also taken a bus in LA one time. (laughs) It was to go to a music festival. Um, But I have taken the train, the subway. Have you ever taken? Oh, the subway. Yeah, Yeah. I live by the subway. It's cool. It looks like a
0: blockbuster video in Hollywood.
1: It does. It's very 80s. It
0: looks like an 80s blockbuster video. Yeah.
1: And um, a thing I... So I used to take the subway as my only mode of transportation for a few years. And I noticed it was always pretty empty, pretty abandoned, like even at rush hour.
0: Yeah. It's eerie, but it it's cool. And it's
1: weirdly like, it's nice. Yeah, it is. Um, So when I moved to LA, I moved here from San Francisco and San Francisco has like great public transportation, you know, like the city's formal position is they're trying to make it as hard as possible for people to have cars. So like everyone's cars would get ticketed nonstop and towed. And uh, I moved to San Francisco with a car and then it was so difficult having it there that, yeah, I got rid of it. And then I just took, you know, the, the BART, the Metro, even the rail cars. And then of course the city's only seven miles across. So I'd walk everywhere and take my bicycle also. And I loved it. And I remember when I moved to LA, uh, I was really sad that I'd have to get a car. That was like a major thing. so i I'm like, there's no way you can just take the subway everywhere here. And the city's too big to walk around. So I got a car and I remember like the first major kind of culture shock I had here was oh my god now I'm just in my car all day and like how in San Francisco because people didn't have cars on your days off you could just walk outside and like the day would happen to you like you could walk around you'd run into people you knew like it was just much more conducive to like interpersonal activity because even your transportation was in this way like social because you were walking down the street next to people and you were more likely to see people you knew. So, yeah, so I moved to L.A. and I got this car, which I needed for work because the subway only goes like four places in the city. And I was super miserable. And then eventually I remember I got a new job that was off of the subway line, the purple line, Wilshire. And I lived next to the purple line. And I was like, oh, my God, I can get rid of my car. And I literally just took the subway everywhere wow! and this was like maybe for two years and i remember telling people like no i don't have a car i take the subway and everyone would look at me like i was out of my mind they're like what Um, And I remember there was this like Maria Bamford joke about how when she moved to L.A., one of her friends called her once and was like, where are you? And she was like, oh, I'm on the bus. And her friend was like, what happened? Are you okay? Do you need me to come get you? Because it's so uncommon for people in L.A. to take public transportation.
0: Yeah, it is a very L.A. thing because I was thinking the only time when I did not drive in L.A. was when I was visiting when I was in my early 20, 20s or even before.
1: And that's when you took the bus as a visitor. I took a bus.
0: I would also just walk, which was hot.
1: Yeah. Well, there's that song, you know, nobody walks in LA, <laughs> right? I also walk in LA a lot and people think I'm out of my mind. But when I tell them like, well, I moved here from San Francisco, they're like, oh, that explains it, you know?
0: Yeah. When I um, had um, my store, people would come in from New York and they'd be like, I walked here from wherever and I would be like
1: that's like a
0: mile and I'm like but they're like oh I'm from New York I'm like
1: oh I see
0: I see I see
1: now okay so you moved here from Portland did you take public transportation in Portland
0: every once in a while I would ride my bike I mainly drove because um in Portland my job kind of required it um when I was selling vintage clothing because I needed to transport you know from the place where I got the clothing to the other place so just wasn't really conducive to my job right and then I had a job before that that was in a weird industrial area that was like not really a good place to get like bus service so I just I had a car and then so yeah, but there's it's way easier to get around Portland like if you don't have a car. Like I know a lot of people who don't have cars there. They just bike.
1: Yeah, so I was um, thinking about all of this and I was thinking about how like I love living in LA but one of the things I miss is like how walkable San Francisco is. And um, even now because like work is across the street from my house now, I hardly ever drive and just like how much better my quality of life is like as a result of that. Um, And then I started thinking about public transportation in general and how it seems like even the place I lived that had the best public transportation, which was San Francisco, which I think has like the fifth best public transport in the United States is still severely lacking compared to other countries. And so my hometown is Fresno, which is halfway in between San Francisco and L.A. And my whole life I've been hearing they're going to build a bullet train. Like they're going to build this high-speed train that goes from San Francisco to L.A. and it'll stop in Fresno. And when it does, our economy will boom because people can get from L.A. to Fresno so fast that Fresno will be like a viable living destination for commuters. But, you know, I'm about to be 35 and this has never actually happened. But this is like this myth of this promise of public transportation. And I remember my whole life they compared it to like the bullet trains in Japan. Like, mm. oh, well they have them in other countries and like one day we'll get it. But it always seemed like this myth on the horizon. So today I wanted to talk about why public transportation in the United States is so bad. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. So. In 1960, 12% of workers in the United States commuted using public transportation, but that's compared to just 5% in 2019. So that's a decline of over 50%. We have like less than half the people using it now that did in 1960. And in 1960, it wasn't that many people. And today, 45% of Americans have absolutely no access to public transportation. And those who do experience lower ridership levels, fewer service hours, and longer wait times than other comparably wealthy nations in Europe and Asia, which I think is what you and I were describing. Like, there are places you wanted to go in Portland that you couldn't get.
0: Yeah. It just wouldn't go. And, you know, I grew up in a small town, you know, like less than 20,000 people. So there was no... There were, If you took a bus, you took a bu- bus to school and it
1: was the school bus. That was the only public transportation. So I definitely grew up taking city buses all over my city, but I grew up again in Fresno. It's a city of over half a million people. And I remember I took the bus pretty much everywhere, but I do remember that the second you got to like the city limits, like a new city has started, like the city of Clovis has started, there is absolutely no public transportation there. And we only had buses, which I feel like for us city of that size half a million people is pretty uncommon there was no underground system no railway system right and we had like Amtrak came into the city and stopped but just downtown where nobody really went because downtown was kind of weird and abandoned um so first I wanted to define like what actually constitutes public transportation because there are so many different systems like we were talking about there's buses There's light rails. There's subways. There's commuter trains. There's streetcars and trolleys, cable cars. Um, and then even like van pool services, water taxis, ferries. Those are all also considered public transportation. As are monorails and tramways, which I always think of as just kind of a novelty. Like I know they have them in Seattle. Uh,
0: Yeah, I was. I was actually. My mind went a little bit to like. Remember the trolley and Roger Rabbit? And wasn't that a movie about public transportation or something? <laughs> I can't really, really watch <laughs> Sorry, that. Sorry, my brain went a little <laughs>
1: like, wow, yeah.
0: The public transportation in Roger Rabbit. I should think about
1: that. Yeah, I should watch that. I'm interested now. (laughs) So approximately 6,800 organizations provide public transportation in the United States. However, despite all of this, we still have some of the worst public transportation in the world compared to other wealthy nations. Uh, It's just not big enough to be actually useful for most people. And until it gets a lot bigger, it just doesn't serve as a viable option to replace car travel.
0: Yeah, I was listening to something on NPR where someone was like, I took I, you know, took public transportation in LA um and I did bus, Uber and then compared it to my car buying gas, insurance, car payment. And it was nearly the same price. So I just ended up driving my car. And I was like, whoa.
1: Yeah, so while city planners in places like Paris, where more than 70% of people currently use public transportation, they're working on figuring out this thing called the 15-minute city, which is like a dream city where all of your needs are transit-free. So it's just a 15-minute walk from your home to anywhere you need to go. So you don't need public transportation anymore. So they're on this stage where they're like, Public transportation could be a thing of the past because we could walk everywhere, which is like next next level, like it 's the brain exploding in the meme you know here in l a where only nine percent of people use public transportation we 're focused on a different kind of fifteen minute problem, which is uh, having public transportation stop within a fifteen mile walk to our homes or fifteen minute walk to our homes, which is called the first mile last mile conundrum. Which feels super outdated and sorely behind compared to other wealthy cities in the world, but also kind of ties in with what you were talking about about the needing to take Uber. We need to take Uber because we can't get to the public transportation as easily.
0: Yeah, or the public transportation, even getting to the public transportation is inaccessible for many people.
1: Right. So that's the first mile, last mile problem that places like L.A. have been trying to figure out forever. But you run into this like catch 22 where it's like, okay, well, then we need to put in more stops but there's not enough revenue coming in from the public transportation program to warrant or constitute adding more stops so more people can take it. So this all ties into why public transportation in the U.S. is so bad. Uh, Most of the things that we don't have, like we don't get in the U.S., it usually feels like it's because it's bad for capitalists, right? You're like, oh, rich people, they they won't let us have this nice thing because it's not good for the rich people. But the interesting thing about public transportation is that if you invest in it, it's actually good for the capitalists too. Like it increases business sales and home values and generally improves the entire economy. So I'm extra stumped why we can't have this one nice thing, with well, public transportation. I feel like it's the same thing
0: where it's like, people are like, well, we can't um, have healthcare because it's too expensive. And you're like, well, actually, if you gave free healthcare to people, it would be less expensive. So even if you're not going with the morality aspect that like, we should help people, yes. you can be like, well, it's actually cheaper to help people. It's actually cheaper to house people. So this is also my conundrum. Yes. Where it's like, if you are a pure capitalist, It is actually in your best interest bottom line money-wise, to help people.
1: It's true. So the economic impact of public transportation, currently in the US, it's a $74 billion industry that employs more than 435,000 people, and every $1 invested in public transportation generates $5 in economic returns. Every $1 billion invested in public transport supports and creates approximately 50,000 jobs, and every $10 million in capital investment in public transportation yields $30 million in increased business sales. So every $10 million in operating investment yields $32 million in in increased revenue for businesses in the surrounding area, which makes sense because when I lived in San Francisco and I took like just even the streetcar, um, my school was on Market Street. So and I would take the, the streetcar down Market when I needed something really fast because businesses were just off the line, it was so convenient and I found myself maybe spending a little more than I otherwise would have because of the convenience factor. So this makes sense that, yeah, if you had a business and you had public transportation in front of it, more people would come to your business.
0: Yeah, especially like with places like bars and restaurants. It's like, you can just take public transportation, go to a bar, have a couple drinks, and then
1: take public transportation back. Which is exactly what I used to do when I lived in San Francisco. And here in LA, I find myself going out less because it's either... You have to drive your car and then you can't drink or have a good time because you're not going to drive your car drunk, or you're going to have to pay a lot of money for an Uber to go home at night. So also another thing is that home values are 24% higher when they're near public transportation than in other areas, and hotels in cities with direct rail access to the airports raise 11% more revenue per room than hotels in cities without, which also, in San Francisco, I remember BART went straight into the airport. Oh and I goodness. thought that was so cool. It just, like, went into, you're, like, in the airport now at your BART stop. You're just like, la, 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 I can get on, like, right next to, you know, my house. And then, boom, next thing you know, I'm literally in the airport. Um, so all of these things, like we said, you know, are good. They're good for the capitalists. They're good for the people. Why can't we have the nice things? And there's all these excuses people come up with, right? So lots of people say that, well, it's because of Americans like suburban sprawl issue like that's to blame for our bad public transportation options like everything's just too far apart because cities and towns were built in the 1950s here and it was um starting to get really popular to drive so we have these auto-centric cities and suburbs that are just too hard to serve with public transportation however canada faces these exact same issues and has nowhere near the like public transportation crisis that the united states has if you look at portland versus vancouver salt lake city versus edmonton or des moines versus winnipeg culturally and economically these are like very similar cities but in each case the canadian city has between two times to five times more transit service per capita than the u.s city uh. so this can't be it so I have some theories.
0: <laughs> I would like to hear those because I have, I have some thoughts, too, on
1: why America <laughs> likes to do this. Why do they do this to us? Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think our public transportation here is so bad because public transportation is seen either as a poor person issue by the wealthy or a metropolitan city slicker issue by the rural. And it's true that access to public transportation very much does help low income people. The average household spends 16 cents of every dollar on transportation, and 93% of this goes to buying, maintaining, and operating cars, the largest expense after housing. And a household can save nearly $10,000 a year by taking public transportation and living with one less car. This is probably why So many Americans think about public transportation as like welfare or food stamps. It's something that, quote, hardworking people don't need because they can afford a car. And it's only there to serve the less valid poor or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Despite the fact that most working class Americans actually cannot afford their cars either. We've just normalized car loans so much that as of 2020, Americans now have a record $1.36 trillion in car debt. And car loans now make up nearly 10% of all household debt, the third largest debt category behind mortgages and student loans. And the average monthly car payment in the U.S. is $530 for a new car and $381 for a used car as of 2018, with the average lease payment per car being $430. It's a lot of money, and every single year those numbers go up. Um, A bus pass, for reference, on average, costs $58 a month in the U.S., so by contrast, Americans have nowhere near enough money saved for things like emergencies or retirements. But if you were to save the $530 a month that is the average new car payment every month from the age of 20 on and invested in the stock market, getting an average 10% return annually by the age of 65, you would have over $5 million. Damn. So we are literally prioritizing <clears throat> car purchases over our retirement and in a perfect world, we should have transportation and retirement. We should have all of it, (sighs) but nobody can afford to do both because wages are stagnating in the US. And for most people in the US, public transportation simply doesn't get us everywhere we need to go. For 55% of us, it doesn't service us at all. So there's not really a motivation or incentive there for people to make this change. And again, realistically, like we shouldn't have to choose one or the other. But living the way we do, you know, the, the cost of cars, it's, it's not realistic actually for the middle class either is what it comes down to. And the public transportation issue remind, remains in our minds like some kind of moral judgment. The perception being, if you're poor enough to need public transportation, you deserve to be like punished for your poverty by having it be as inconvenient as Ugh. possible or something. That's like, Ugh.
0: that's just like, there is this like the weird punishment vibe in America. Yes, and we're it's punishing like, the poor. <laughs> especially it's just like punishing things over what people, what is systemic yes. and not a personal
1: issue. No, and the people who think that they've transcended that, ironically, in this situation are the middle class who actually, based on their wages, cannot afford to be driving their cars either because they're compromising their future well-being for their immediate, what they perceive to be well-being by delaying things like retirement savings, which we none of us have enough for, and instead putting that money into a car payment so they can feel morally superior in some capacity and not have to take the bus yeah Um,
0: and sometimes like I've worked jobs where it's like if I don't have a car I don't know how I'm going to do this job because like you know like when I worked at the industrial place where it's just like where it's so unreliable and you know I don't know if you've ever worked places where you're like they're like you're 15 minutes late like that's yes. a write-up and three write-ups you're like. So if tra- public transportation is always late. You can't you, count on it. Yeah, so, and you're just, and they're like, why are you not taking the car to where It's like so yes. wild. I feel like I saw something on Twitter one time where someone um got fired because they worked at like, I forget, like maybe like a fancy real estate place or something like that. And their um, car wasn't nice enough, and their boss wrote them a letter, being like, "Are you having financial problems? Oh, I think I saw this like, too. Yeah, you, I, I see you don't have like a new car. Your car seems like you know. I think this reflects badly on us. Blah, blah blah." And I'm just like, "This is
1: bad. Like it's all bad. There's no way to win. The hell." Like um, so, transit blogger Alon Levy uh, actually talked about this as well and said the issue is that most Americans think, "quote." It's considered okay if the bus comes every half hour. If it's a lifeline for people who literally can't afford anything else, um, so like you were saying, you know the thing where I can't be 15 minutes late to work, and this bus only comes 30 minutes, and at that it's not consistent. Anybody who's taking the bus will tell you, like the bus never comes when the bus is supposed to come. Like if you want to get somewhere on time, like you literally have to plan to leave like two hours early, or you're, it's just not going to happen. But we don't prioritize fixing this issue because we're like. Well, the poors are lucky they have this option, you know, when they can't afford a car like me, you know, whatever that case is. And as for the rural versus urban situation, it remains true that older U.S. cities with pre-war street grids that minimize things like cul-de-sacs and other driving-focused street patterns like New York, San Francisco, Chicago, do have the highest level of U.S. transit ridership and rural communities in the US have been pretty much ignored by public transportation efforts altogether. Oh yeah, like
0: if you go to a small town like
1: there's nothing. Yeah. So this, coupled with the idea that the working poor in cities have an income that comparatively feels higher to people in rural locations, like a New Yorker working full-time at minimum wage makes $26,000 a year compared to just around $15,000 a year for people living off of the federal minimum wage in smaller places, it easily makes it seem like a rich city person non-issue to working class and poor rural Americans. And I get that because it's pretty hard for us to wrap our heads around like relative costs and expenses and how they vary from place to place, which is why we had to come up with like the big Macs big Mac index, which is endlessly entertaining to me just to get a grasp on global macro and economics. Like we literally have to ask, well, how much does a big Mac cost there to understand the oh, value yeah. of money like, from when they place
0: were like, if we like w- raise the minimum wage, this is how much a big Mac will cost and <laughs> yeah. I'm like. What about, like, an impossible Whopper?
1: Like, how much will those... No.
0: It's no, just like, why, it's
1: is, why is this the factor? It's weird, but it actually has proven to be, like, more, um, like, accurate than other macroeconomic indicators for determining like what cost of living actually feels like from place to place. Welcome to America where McDonald's does the economics. Yeah. And we do it in other countries too. (laughs) So if you want to look at like what the value of a U.S. dollar actually is in other (laughs) countries, there's the exchange rate obviously, but that doesn't matter if you're like, say you want to live there and work there and make their wages. What does this amount of money feel like? And the best way to come up with it is the big Mac index. Um, so it's hard if you're like a rural person outside of a city to feel like you actually identify with somebody in a city who's poor, who makes nearly two times as much money as you do on paper. But then you you have to remember that that 26 a year income in New York sounds nice to someone living in Boise earning just 15 a year. But that $1,400 a month average rent in Boise sounds really nice to someone in New York City who's paying $2,500 a month in rent per month. So it's, it's all relative anyway, but I think that it is hard for working class people in different geographic areas with different needs and issues facing them to relate to each other. And if you add on to that, that the structure of the American Senate means that federal policy is usually biased towards rural interests, with each state getting two senators regardless of population meaning Wyoming with a population of 580,000 has the same representation as California with a population of 39 million Uh, and for reference my hometown of Fresno, California a place most people don't even think is real has a population of 525,000 wow so almost the same size as the entire state of Wyoming Wyoming
0: there is not very many people there
1: it is the least populated state in the US it's very windy. Being from Colorado, you go through
0: Wyoming and you're just like, this is too windy, too, too windy, but it's very beautiful.
1: Yeah, so, (laughs) but if you look at it, you know, we have the same number of senators that Wyoming does, and the fact remains that it's going to be a hard sell to make rural people in Wyoming care about public transportation. Most of them live nowhere near a rail line. So why would they care? Yeah. So now you have this issue where you have wealthy people who have no need for public transportation. You have the middle class who thinks that they're better than the poor because they're spending what should be their retirement savings on a car payment that they actually can't afford because they've been told that this is what they're supposed to do. And poor people who live outside of metropolitan areas who have up to this point been neglected to be considered by public transportation planning entirely rallying together on this issue to say, hey, this isn't really a me thing. Which is why in the 1960s, when other countries were building their public transportation systems, the US was not. And in some cases like Boston, we were actually actively destroying ones that had existed in the early 1900s, ripping out subway lines and streetcars. However, public transportation should be a me thing for all of us, um, even though I completely understand why especially poor people in rural communities are like, literally, how will this help me? Um, And the key thing that I think about a lot is climate change being such a pressing issue. Approximately 85% of greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector are related to what we call the surface transportation system. So some people say taking public transportation is the single greatest thing any one person can do to help fight climate change. A single person who changes their 20-mile commute from a personal car to public transportation can reduce their carbon dioxide emissions by 20 pounds per day, or more than 48,000 pounds in a year, which is a 10% reduction in all greenhouse gases produced by a typical two-adult, two-car household. U.S. public transportation saves 37 million metric tons of carbon dioxide annually, equivalent to the emissions resulting from the electricity generated from the use of over 4.9 million households which would be every household in Washington, D.C., New York City, Atlanta, Denver, and Los Angeles combined. Public transportation use saves the U.S. the equivalent of 4.2 billion gallons of gasoline annually and more than 11 million gallons of gasoline per day.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Um... And it added to that, additionally, this is a thing I think about a lot, which would actually be a fun episode on its own. I mean, not fun, it'd be a horrifying episode on its own. Um, But public transportation is so much safer than driving. Like, I heard this expert once talk about how driving has killed more people than every World War combined. I believe that. If you drive in California, you will
0: see some shit. (laughs) Yes. You will see. Like, when I was driving from Orange County to L.A. almost every single day, like, I was like... Wow. I mean, and I am the rare person who actually enjoys the process of driving. Yes. I enjoy it. But I was like, I would rather be reading a book right now or like taking a nap going from Anaheim to yes.
1: Los Angeles. I mean, and also not to malign the great city of Glendale, our neighbor to the east, but Glendale usually comes really high up on like the nationwide lists of worst drivers ever. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like something about the city planning of Glendale not being conducive to actually driving, but it is like one of the most dangerous places in the US to drive a car and it is right next door to LA. And every time I drive through Glendale, I'm like, wow, they really were not kidding. Like people are driving absolutely wild here and the only thing I could think is that something about the city planning was not like conducive to vehicle safety like they just somebody failed to do the roads right or something well you know they say that um I
0: I listened to a podcast about them oh, no, okay. well what what we need are roundabouts and more oh. four-way stops and less stoplights because what happens is people like basically zone out so they don't see things that are unexpected like if someone like a pedestrian is crossing during a red light or they just so it's actually more conducive to have like a a system more like the UK for Mm -hmm. like setting up cars and stuff because yeah Cars are fucking
1: dangerous. They are. So traveling by public transportation is 10 times safer per mile than traveling by automobile. And a person can reduce his or her chance or their chance, thank you data, be more inclusive, um, of being in an accident by more than 90% simply by taking public transportation as opposed to commuting by car.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I, I love to drive. I love a long drive. I love like a long road trip just driving and yeah, but it's
1: so, so dangerous. But. It's so dangerous. Um, So all of this sounds like catastrophic, right? You're like, well, what do we do? Like the only people who are actually using public transportation systems are like the poor in densely populated urban areas, which seems like a relatively small percent of the population, even though it actually isn't that small percent. Um, Like, how do we get people to care about this and expand the use of public transportation to be more akin to how other countries treat it and less like a social safety net thing here in the United States. Like how do we get middle-class people to get rid of their cars and take public transportation or at the very least just go from being a two-car two car household to a one-car household? Uh, how do we like make rich people take the bus too? Which also actually should be a thing that's good for like rich people's sense of empathy because um, I read this study once that talked about how Wealthy people have a harder time empathizing with others because they have literally so much physical distance between them and others. Whereas if you live closer to people and you interact with them, you're more likely to think of them as your community and empathize with their plights and struggles, which happens on places like public transportation. You're literally sandwiched next to other people. It's hard to ignore that they're human too. Um, So yeah, it's like, how do we do this? And is all hope lost? And um, fortunately, It's not. It's not too late. Uh, In the last 30 years alone, almost two dozen countries have built true high-speed rail networks with trains capable of going over 120 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. And China basically had no rapid transit through the 1990s. And now they have 25 cities with comprehensive rail systems, including seven of the world's 12 largest metro networks by length. Whoa. So it can change in just a short amount of time. It can change in a lifetime. Uh, We just need to prioritize public transportation and change the narrative around whom it benefits and how. Yeah, and you know,
0: one, I think that we should just make all the subways look like 90s blockbuster videos. So they're all cool and we all feel like Hollywood stars whenever we go anywhere. And And it's um, fun. And it's fun. Like, that's what I feel like. You know, it really, if we made it cool and fun and it could go places, like, everyone would want to go and people would like it. And they're like, I want to, like, party on the subway instead of being enraged in my car driving on the 5.
1: Yes. And I mean, okay, even where I live now, I do have a friend who lives in Koreatown where the subway does go and it's actually a viable transportation option. And she told me when I moved, she was like, oh my God, I'm so excited because the last place you lived was really impossible to get to on public transportation. And she goes, what's your new address? And I tell her and she puts it in. And she's like, this is just as hard. Like the nearest stop is like two miles away from my house. And it's just not realistic for most people to walk two miles after they get off the subway. It's too far. So yeah, the investment really has to be in... More stops, better transit options, getting people uh to and from the stops with that like first mile last mile issue that we run into that in LA honestly we're lucky if it's only a mile it's usually yeah. much more here and, and being accessible being
0: accessible, yes, you know, and like yeah, it's like all these things, and it's just so if 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 you don't have to think twice about taking public transportation, how amazing would that be like It'd be you're amazing. just like, oh, I just go out, I walk a block up the street and get on and see everybody who I see in my my neighborhood on the mm-hmm. on streetcar. I'm like, on the Roger Rabbit trolley. I mean, which, I
1: did take one of those in San Francisco, I know every day. Which, which
0: I don't know. Now I don't know if that's real in that movie, and I don't know
1: why. Like, we gotta no. watch it.
0: We gotta watch it. But that's, I know, I keep thinking about, I'm like, I, I'm trying not to daydream about my future utopia and how we're all getting around and how easy it is for everybody.
1: Well, I think it's good to daydream though, because when you dream about the type of place you wanna live in and like what kind of environment actually would be good for you to be in, it um, like drives the potential possibilities for the future because suddenly you've created demand. Like if we all had a demand for better public transportation, that's how things get supplied, right? In our current system anyway. Like if we told people like, no, we need more transportation, not less, I would love to be able to take, you know, the subway or even a bus compared to my car, especially in Los Angeles where there's so much traffic. Like if we start building this demand, people will start servicing it with a supply. And even um, like linking rural communities together with like a train line. Oh, that'd be amazing. Like when I lived in Colorado, if there
0: would have been just like an easy train to go to like Colorado Springs or Denver, like I feel like I would have felt way less alone in the world especially when it was like snowing and you would be like uh i can't go to the nearest like big city because it's icy as shit out
1: yeah and i think that they do have this more like in the uk we see this and in asia like in japan too where you'll have at least like a a train connecting like even if it's just one stop in a rural town Mm -hmm. like what a difference that can make in terms of public transportation for me um This was a major issue for me actually, because there was a period of time in my life where I lived in Fresno and I worked for a company that had like multiple locations. And for a while I needed to work in Modesto and Stockton. And there just being a train that I could take from Fresno to Modesto and Stockton, and then I could get off and use the local bus systems there. That was amazing because yeah, Amtrak did run up through central California, but the ticket prices were really, really high um, which is this other thing that people talk about as being like an issue. Like in the US, we often fight to keep public transportation costs really low because we do view it as like a social welfare program for low-income people. And, and they do it does need to be accessible. But at the same time, we're not able to charge enough to pay for the actual cost of the services, which is why the services are so incomplete and low. And they are being subsidized by taxpayer money and federal money, but just not enough. So you're in this like weird place where the capitalists are like, well, people need to pay more for it. And then the people are like, well, the only people really taking it are low income people. Why would you make them pay more for it? Like, that's not right. But I think there's like the ultimate overlooming budget issue of like how federal funds are allocated. And I think most people view these as citywide or statewide issues rather than, like, a federal issue, which is why there's not, like, federal money going into it. Yeah, they're an everybody issue. It's an everybody issue. And it would be amazing to have states interconnected with, like, a federal rail system. That'd be cool. Or, like, a high-speed federal rail system even. And, you know, the money's there. We all know the money's – it's just in the defense budget. Oh, yeah. It's all – It's all in the defense budget. (laughs)
0: Also, not to get into that because I'm not an expert, but, like, just even doing a little bit of, like – modern monetary theory or can we pay for everything without it causing inflation i'm like absolutely yes yes totally i'm like not to be like you know uh naive or you know uneducated but i'm like money is not real we can pay for it yeah we we can pay for it like they've done it where i'm (laughs) <laughs> don't get don't get me started.
1: <laughs> no, but it's true and it would be so cool like I know we have Amtrak, right, which takes you from place to place, but it costs just as much as flying, so why would I not fly?
0: Oh, yeah. I would Oh my gosh, if I could take like a cool train from LA to Colorado, oh, that'd be so amazing. Um side note, uh there is an old like tiny train that runs through my hometown that used to connect like all the old West cities in oh, Colorado. Wow. So it would go through the Royal Gorge. So it would go next to like the river and like like one of like my grant like my grandmas like took it in like the nineteen forties or something. But wow. like there used to be like trains have more train infrastructure. Like stuff like that where it's just like oh my gosh, I would love that because I hate
1: yeah I mean I love okay so I live in LA now I have family still in Fresno I want to go visit them sometimes but Amtrak doesn't run from LA to Fresno on a train service on a rail service um, because there's the grapevine there's the mountains in the way so you have to take a bus from LA to Fresno, and then if you wanted to go up from Fresno to San Francisco, you can take like a train the rest of the way from there. I think the bus actually goes up to like Bakersfield. It goes like halfway, but even just the idea that I'd have to be on a bus for half of it, rather than them creating a rail system that easily connects along the coastline where it's flat, then up to Fresno. It's Mm -hmm. like, I would actually take the train if it were cost-effective and I didn't have to switch off of a bus going over mountains, like if it were more efficient, I would take that all the time instead of driving, especially yeah. if I could bring my dogs on the train. Oh, that'd be cute. Because in San Francisco, I have a 13-pound dachshund named Modog, and Modog used to come on BART with me all the time because dogs oh. were allowed on BART. Oh, that's so cute. I know, and she would sit on my lap, and it was really chill, and, you know, it, just like if you made it more usable for people in their real lives, how they need to use public transportation, which should, it shouldn't be a stretch. It shouldn't be that far off. Mm-mm. It should be something realistic. So and I think that goes along also with um, like it all ties in in my head with the housing crisis and housing shortages in urban areas. Because if we have if we start to value densely populated urban areas a little bit more and service them and provide for them in the United States, like people do in other countries, like it shows you how much more walkable our cities could be, how much more usable our cities can be if the living areas are actually like compacted in a smaller region. So then all of a sudden it doesn't cost so much money to build rail lines to every far-reaching corner of this land, like area within the county or whatever mm-hmm. of Los Angeles. If most people actually are living in houses that are not just one home on a plot of land, say it's like an apartment building, you can service more people that way. Mm-hmm. You know, the more densely populated housing you have, the easier it is to provide more people with public transportation. Mm-hmm. And that's another issue we have in the United States. It, it is, there is are suburban sprawl to some extent. Um but I think it's like a combo of both. It's like reimagining how we planned cities after coming out of this like car-centric hellscape that we created <laughs> post-industrialization, you know. Yeah, and it's just like it, it's also
0: a you know, a level of like for me it's like just being thinking like dang, like I think public transportation and, you know, not just sorry, not public transportation, like transportation, like cars, airplane, you know, stuff that we use now is like a really big impact on like the environment and climate change. It is. um, I would like to stick around for a couple more generations. Yes. And not have it be like 120 degrees every summer.
1: Yeah, and also climate change disproportionately affects poor people. It's, it's poor Absolutely. people and low-income people who are most affected by climate change, which we tend not to think about um, because it almost feels like an intellectual or upper-class issue because money, low-income, and poor people don't have like the luxury of thinking that for in advance. It's more like, what am I gonna do next week when rents do? Like, what am I gonna do to pay this bill? Like, it's very short-term thinking, But it's up to like policymakers and people who do have the luxury of long-term thinking to plan on behalf of people who are most at risk. And the people most at risk are low-income communities, are poor people. So it's something that like ties in more ways than one and like helps everybody. And, you know, I know like you talked about. Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk just doing space capitalism and leaving our planet to <laughs> turn into a trash Just do that in space. <laughs> Leave us alone. But if they don't do space capitalism, they might also need the planet at some point. Absolutely. Which, so I don't know how we convince rich people to care or uh, know that we're human. I don't think we can. I don't think we can. But uh, unless we stop buying their shit. This is. I don't know. <laughs> how do we make them care? <laughs> them care that we need to get places and then i'm like don't they want to live in a don't they have enough taste to want to live in a place that seems cooler money doesn't buy taste money does
0: not buy taste
1: i think donald trump in his ugly gold apartment with his gold toilet they don't care i
0: learned that from when i was a teenager watching mtv cribs money does not buy taste money does
1: not buy taste so (laughs) i i guess the only way we get the the public transportation of our dreams is to eat the rich. It's That's the only... I keep trying... That's the only solution that ever comes to mind. So we can have our high-speed rails and our trains and our beautiful bullet train that takes you from L.A. to San Francisco in an hour or oh whatever. Ooh. It'd be so nice. Oh, my gosh. So nice. So nice. <sighs> okay, Kenna. So with all of this in mind... Describe to me your ideal city you'd like to live in and how public transportation would or maybe would not affect and play into that life that you would like to imagine yourself having.
0: Ooh, um, so I feel like I've been watching (laughs) a lot of anime lately where people like live at these like fantastical like boarding school style like college type campuses where like, you go and you uh, can like walk outside and take the trolley to like um, the, the cute little restaurant and like you have a little place that's like, almost like campus style where you're like, Oh, there's the cafeteria where we get our like, yummy gourmet style food or it's like it's good. And then I can like go and like study a little bit about history or like, I don't know. I'm, my mind is all over the place, but I've also been reading this book called The uh, Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin, um, where it talks about kind of like um, an anarchist moon utopia. <laughs> 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 and they talk about having like a lot of campuses where people can just go and eat and hang out with each other and... um like kind of bounce around from like oh I was helping at the um the um place where we study physics and then I went into the cafeteria to you know eat some food and then saw my friends at their like little abode and we all hung out so maybe that's not public transportation but for me um it's also very like that's kind of like the idea that I've been thinking about lately but in like terms of like real life transportation like in the here and now it would be so amazing to just be like oh i can walk max three minutes anywhere to get onto like a a cute like uh you know rail or bus or you know driverless you know vehicle where you can just get in with someone else it's It, like, feels like you can zip around really fast. You can get a drink, go back home, not worry about it. Um, I would love to be able to, like, take a bullet train from Orange County to L.A. Oh, that'd be great. And from L.A. to
1: um, Colorado. Not to the great city of Fresno, California?
0: I have never been to Fresno. Okay, we're going to fix that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do an episode where you
1: take it. I'm going to so- do a Fresno
0: episode. <laughs> take me to Fresno.
1: <laughs> and I just take it all in. And then we could do a Colorado one. We too. could do a Colorado That'd be one fun. too.
0: But I, I might be going all over the place. And like before when I had the idea about Roger Rabbit and I have not seen that movie in years. And I'm like, what is even in that movie? Is it good? Is it bad? Why do I remember a streetcar in this movie? So- I think there is a streetcar. I think it involves around, like some sort of like deal where like the rich people of Toontown are trying to take over the public transportation. Like, and there's like a shoe involved somehow. It's yeah, like a talking shoe. I don't know. We need to. Yeah. I we need to. We need to look into this. this again, yeah, I would just love to be able to like read my um, trashy romance novel while drinking a latte, going from. Orange
1: County to Fresno. Thank you. Colorado. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that when I think about my ideal city structure and like how I would like to live my life and like what my values are in like constructing what I believe to be a good life for myself, I think similar to what you were describing, it is very community oriented. I think that um, conceptualizing of our like nation or whatever, or this environment we live in as a series of small communities that are interlinked together to sometimes solve bigger issues, I think that that's beneficial, and I think I understand why Paris was looking to do the fifteen minute city thing where they're like everything is within walking distance of fifteen minutes from your home and i don 't think that's realistic for every community or environment, but it would be nice to try to maximize like think about like your house is the center of a radius and Maybe within 15 minutes of walking, you have most of the things you need, like a, a grocery store and maybe a little cafe and a school and hopefully your job. And then if you extend a little wider out from there, you have like bigger city services you might need, like more nightlife, restaurants, bars, entertainment, music venues. And then if you go a little further out from that, you have even more city services um, that maybe are on a bigger scale, like airports and major railways. Yeah, one thing that I think
0: about is like, uh kind of I don't know where I was reading this but like urban planning whereas like in the in the past um there would be like a little neighborhood and it would have like a grocery store um like a place to get um you know coffee pharmacy like you'd have like all like a bunch of variety of different things in a little area but once they started like city planning they're like we have a business area we have an area for restaurants we have an area where people work we have a district for clothing. We have a district, like you break up the districts and what that created was really intense traffic.
1: Yes, exactly. So yeah, I feel like my dream would be to have options and then have walkable things, but then have everything else obviously be accessible through a network of like subway is what I like, I like the subway, I like the streetcars, I like those better than buses, but I don't mind buses. But it would be amazing to be able to hop on the subway to go out for the night, you know, and like you were saying, to know that you could have fun and not worry about getting home. Um, Even in San Francisco, where I loved the public transportation there, there was always the issue of like the BART cuts off at midnight. You know, you can't be on the BART past midnight. And they would extend it on holidays. But even that was like a big kind of blow to like socializing and nightlife and having like a vibrant nightlife community which I obviously enjoy so I think like that would be how my ideal city would be set up and it would be very very focused on public transportation and ideally I would not have a car I would not need a car and that would be what would be most favorable favorable to me I think in that situation um but yeah, it just seems so far removed from the life we have that I'm like, is it possible to live in a better world? But then, you know, other countries are doing it. So yeah. clearly it is possible. We just have to want it enough. Yeah. You know? And I think that's like, I think also we we get kind of caught up on what messages we should be pushing for and... um like within our movements, within our communities, like how do you prioritize? How do you come together to focus on one thing? And if you were to do that, what would be the most important thing that has the most impact for the mm-hmm. most people? And I think sometimes, um, in, in like social community, in this way, we end up in analysis paralysis together. Mm-hmm. We end up in collective analysis paralysis where we can't choose the best thing to focus on, so we end up just going ah mm-hmm. and focusing on none of it. Um or the most immediate pressing issues, which are very obvious, like human rights violations, which obviously should should always come first. But I, a lot of the little things do, I think, fall by the wayside. And it would be nice if we could find a way to integrate those these little topics about things like transportation um, into our greater conversations about ac- accessibility on the whole for cities um, and about like poverty and how these things interact with it. Um, you know, and to point out, I think just like the inconsistencies where it's like, okay, we've made these car dependent cultures, and then we've given everybody jobs where they can't afford reasonably to have cars. Mm-hmm. And what's that? What's that doing to us? What's mm-hmm. that doing to people? To try to find these common threads where we can come together. And instead of allowing the middle class to kind of psychologically align themselves with the wealthy to remind them, like, no, like, you're closer to the poor than you think. Like, your car does not absolve you from the need to think about public transportation. Your car is potentially doing more harm for you financially than good yeah. in a world where you should realistically, everyone should be able to have both transportation and elderly care. And Absolutely. you don't. And what does that mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there is, there is a utopia in there. And it is... Not car culture, in my opinion. The no. utopia is not. It's not car centric. It's trolley centric. <laughs> it's trolley centric and <laughs> cafeteria centric <laughs> and the moon centric <laughs> and bars.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, because I like
1: bars. They're fun. They are. They are. That's it. We fixed it. We solved the world again. We solved all the problems <laughs> in the world again. We're getting good at this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's podcast episode. If you would like to uh, subscribe to our Patreon, we are patreon.com slash scared. For $2 a month, you can get access to a link on our website where you can leave us voice messages and talk to us and we might play them on our next episode and give you our advice, our feedback on problems you might be having in your life, answer your questions anything your heart desires and if you don't want to give us your two dollars a month that is fine too we understand completely that is your two dollars a month you keep it Uh, i forgot what i was talking about okay yeah that's it thanks bye